Habits and Health, Episode 91. Welcome to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health. My guest today, Kathleen Trutter. She's a fitness expert, a media personality, personal trainer, writer, and author of the book called Finding Your Fit, a compassionate trainer's guide to making fitness a lifelong habit and your fittest future self. So she's all about making choices today for a healthier, happier, fitter future you. And she's been a personal trainer and fitness expert for about 20 years. And in this episode, we talk about many things about fresh starts, setting up fail-safe systems, about ultimate goals, mindset, and a lot around behavior as well. So that's today's episode with Kathleen Trotter. If you know anyone who would get some value from some of the sort of real nuggets that Kathleen shares, please do share the episode with them and hope you enjoy this week's show. Habits and Health, my guest today, Kathleen Trotter. How are you, Kathleen? I'm thrilled to be here. I love habits and I love health. So I think I, I get a feeling it's going to be a good episode. I'm just wondering where you, I'm presuming you're in the States, but where whereabouts? No, you? I'm actually in Canada. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Oh, well, I, forgive me for saying that you're in the States. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? No. <laughs> I am close. I do love the Americans and I miss going to New York in COVID. I haven't been traveling and oh my goodness, I used to do so many courses in the States. So I have to start doing that again. I was just thinking about habits of I've created, unfortunately, by default, habits of being a very a homebody right and I used to have these habits of travel and taking courses all around the globe I'd go to London England I'd go to New York I'd go to California and I think one of the things that COVID did for a lot of us is it reset our habits by default and I'm a big believer in setting habits by design because I think that when you have that default and it just happens and you like slide into different things sometimes they work for you but often they don't mm-hmm. so a lot of what I do with my clients is just say okay let's design the habits and the life that we want want with intention. And so anyway, I'm saying this out now, mainly because I um, really believe in accountability. So if I say to you, I'm going to start traveling, I'm going to start going to different courses, I think it's one of the ways that it'll happen. Well, I mean, there's a number of things I want to explore in what you just said, and we're going to get into what you do and how you help people and all the rest of it. But something you just said, I'm now wondering, because it's clear that behavior and habits is is really important to you. Yes. So when did you was there a revelation at some point when you realized this is the difference maker or what happened? I really think that learning happens very slowly and over time. It's that sort of layers of the onion or the idea that it's the final coin that makes you a millionaire, but all the other coins don't matter. Like that final coin doesn't matter without the, all the other coins. And I think that's what's learning, right? Like you you have a revelation and then you forget the revelation and then you have to learn it again. And so I've had a really 20 years in the fitness field and the but the first half of my life, I was very unfit. I hated being in my own body. I was, I didn't exercise. So it has been a gradual journey for me to change my habits and to become fitter and then to help other people change them. So I don't think that there was one moment, but I do think it's an accumulation of moments of things like reading books like James Clear's Atomic Habits, reading Carol Dweck, Growth Mindset, reading, just a, listening to really interesting podcasts like Tim Ferriss and The One Thing, which talks a lot about habits and just really appreciating that knowledge, it's not enough. Like I love the Derek Sivers quote, if knowledge was enough, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs. 
I think the thing with health is a lot of it is fairly Captain Obvious. You drink more water, get more sleep, move your body a bit more. But it doesn't mean that just because it's Captain Obvious to know it, connecting the dots between knowing and doing it, it's a very hard thing. And I think that because I spent the first half of my life really wanting to be healthy and fit, like I was overweight and I hate, I hated being overweight. I didn't want to be quote unquote lazy, I, but I just I couldn't find a way to make myself be the person I wanted to be. And so through the process of understanding how I could get rid of the shame and get rid of the, I can't do this attitude and get more onto the, okay, little by little, I can learn step by step that growth mindset a lot of therapy and just a lot of time and patience. I think I've just, I've learned through doing and through helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's this uh, cognitive distortion that I think it's called the fluency effect. Maybe I could be getting that wrong. I'll look it up and I'll, so you can put it in the show notes, but it's just this idea that the easier something looks from the outside, like then the more likely you, you don't deconstruct it and figure out how to do it. You just think that looks like it should be easy. So then it obviously is easy. And so many of those things there, they are sort of simple, but they're definitely not easy to do. And so I think health and wellness is one of those things. People are like, I don't want to hire a coach or I don't need to hire a coach. I know what I should be doing, but they don't do it. And then you got to step back and you can think, okay, how, where has this mindset gotten me so far? Oh, I've been wanting to get healthy for 20 years and I haven't done it. Okay. So maybe I need an outside help, or maybe I'm going about it the wrong way, or maybe I know all the right information, but I don't understand how to implement it. Or maybe I'm not giving myself enough time to actually really create the habit. Like a habit isn't created over a day, it's repetition. And so I don't, did any of that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah. Following on from something you just said, there was, there's a number of books on habits. I think I've read at least 20 books on habits. And there's a number of them that talk about if something is very easy, it's unlikely mm-hmm. to become a habit. It's almost when it's much more difficult to make into a habit, it's, you're more likely to become long, long-term. If it's very easy, it doesn't become a, like, habitual so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just depends on the person and it depends on the thing they're trying to yeah, create, yeah. right? And it depends on when you start. I don't know, brushing my teeth is not overly hard, but I do that. It, what is That's a habit that's both easy and extremely habitual. So I really think it's about the person. I think it's about their sort of built-in view of the world and view of themselves. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording how for me, I have made exercise such a non-negotiable in my life. But because of growing up with a single mom and not a lot of money, and just being very anxious about sort of money and security, that the harder thing for me to create a habit around is actually taking rest, taking time off. And I was saying that I'm trying to create a habit around when a client cancels, taking a pause, and asking myself, like, do you want to reschedule this person? Or do you want the hour to yourself, which sounds for probably for most people are really like, why is that hard for you, Kathleen? But my really ingrained habit from years of being worried about money and just worried about security is I don't even pause and think I just Mm. automatically rebook. And I think for some people that would not be a hard thing to change. But for me, it is actually really legitimately hard. And the point of the story is woe is me. But the point is that we're all going to have things that are harder to change. And if it was easy for us to exercise or eat well, we would have done it 20 years ago. There's something we have to figure out, not just 
like the sort of, they talk about a cue behavior and the reward of a habit. So you have to figure out all parts of that. So not just the cue. So for me, it's okay if I'm working on changing the habit of taking that hour off. So the cue is and client emails and cancels. Okay, so that's the cue. And then it's okay. The behavior is I pause and decide what I want to do. But then you also have to look at the reward. Like what are you getting? And what is rescheduling somebody automatically get me? Oh, that gets me a sense of security. And so that's a very hard thing to give up if you still have a lot of fear in your mindset. So it's just, I think the thing with habits is it's more complicated and also simpler than we give it credit for. Like it is just a repetition game. The more you do things, the more ingrained it is. Like habits are by nature habitual. So they take less cognitive energy, but they can be very hard at the beginning to change. There's an influx of energy that's needed to understand how you're going to change the cue. How are you going to change the behavior? How are you going to change the reward? And what reward are you getting for the version of your reality that you're currently doing? And then sometimes it just needs a little bit of compassion around that, right? Like For me, you know, it's easy for me to get very angry at myself because then I don't give myself that break. I get over exhausted. It's not good for my health. I'm like, Kathleen, you've been in therapy for 20 years. Like, why aren't you better at doing this? No, this is what's hard for me. And this is why, and this is how I have my compassion. And then this is also my growth mindset. Take a moment. Do you feel better when you overwork or do you feel better when you have some recovery? Okay, I feel better when I have some recovery. Then that's what I need to do. But that's with exercise too. Like people will... If you skip a workout, you have to pause and you have to say, okay, do I feel better because I skipped this workout? No, I don't. I feel worse. Okay. So next time I want to skip a workout, I have to remind myself like you will feel better when you move. The reward of moving is that you feel more energized. You feel more in control, but it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is it is a process and you have to understand where your current habits are coming from and where the habits you want to achieve what they would give you. And then it's a constant process of reminding yourself of, okay, what do I get from this? Oh, I will feel better if I eat. If I drink water, I will feel better. My digestion will be better. I'll have more energy. My skin will be better. If I eat vegetables, I will feel more vitalized. I will get my gut microbiome better, like all these things. But yeah, habits are habitual, but they don't become habitual without that initial influx of learning and attention and awareness. I was listening earlier today to, are you familiar with Andrew Huberman? I love the Huberman podcast, of course. Oh my God, yes. And in in the latest episode, he's talking with another neuroscientist. I can't remember the guy's name, but he at one point talked about how he has to exercise regularly and Mm -hmm. he wasn't, and for him, it's not about the benefits, the fitness benefits, it's Mm -hmm. the cognitive benefits because he's noticed that if he doesn't exercise regularly, it affects him cognitively. And although that is known the cognitive Mm -hmm. benefits Mm -hmm. i don't think that's emphasized enough because a lot of people just think about the how they're going to get fitter they're going to look better Mm -hmm. and so on but it's so there's so many benefits cognitive yes yeah i love that because for me what that highlights is you have to understand for you what is going to be your why and everyone has to be really aware of themselves know their thyself like that socrates idea of knowing themselves because for me what makes me exercise is less about the cognitive. Like, I'm again, I know it's great. I know it's important. But what gets me out of bed is the knowledge that it improves my mood. And that's because I've dealt with depression over, my, over the last 40 years of my life. And one of the things that my therapist did when I first started working with her was she made me keep a mood journal. And she said, okay, write down your mood before exercise and then write down your mood on a scale of 1 to 10 after. And I can see from two weeks of keeping this journal – 
and I still have the data that I always feel better. If I'm a one before exercise, I'm a four after, I'm a four before exercise, I'm a five after. So for me, that's so important for my self-talk. Mm-hmm. And so what I would encourage everybody listening to think of is, okay, so what does exercise do for me? Is it a chance to be connected to my partner? Maybe we go for walks with our dog or I go out and play with my kids or I feel more in control of what I can control or my mood is better or my cognitive, my mental uh, ability to be there. I'm less foggy in my brain. Like the thing is, there's so many benefits of movement. And if you can pinpoint for you how Mm. it really positively impacts your life, and then when you don't want to do it, you can say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to let my momentary desire derail me from long-term success. And here are the reasons why that I will feel better. You're much more likely to do it. And the more often you do it, this ties back to what we were talking about before, that habits are habitual, but in order to ingrain them, you have to be intentional. And that self-talk, okay, this will help my ability to focus. This will improve or decrease my brain fog. Like those are the ways that you intentionally create the habit because then you exercise for 40 days in a row and you're like, oh, it's much more, it's easier to do it. And that's one of the things, like I've been doing this for 20 years at the beginning, it was almost impossible for me to make myself move because it wasn't a habit and I didn't understand how it would make me feel so much better. But through making myself being very intentional in the first couple of years of my fitness journey, it's now it's almost harder for me to skip a workout than it is for me to do the workout because it's just such a habit and I so understand how much better I will feel after. So I don't know, is it, what, what it, what's your why for exercise? Like what's it, when you want to skip a workout, what do you say to yourself? I think I don't. I just enjoy it so much and I have my mm. whole life from when I was okay. a kid. So I just always, I always have. I, did, I don't think there's ever been a point in my life. Point. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly never been a point in my life where I've been like overweight or anything, but because, okay. and partly because I've got a very fast metabolism, mm-hmm. a lot of energy, and I just yeah. always am doing yeah. some kind of sport, exercise, walking, whatever. I'm always doing something. Yeah. So you're so lucky because that's been part of your life since you were uh, since you were born. Mm-hmm. And I think that for those of us like me who that wasn't for the first 20 years of my life, it's like it's like I had an exercise bank account and I was in like a billion dollars of debt for the first 20 years and I'm just slowly bringing myself up paying off the debt and then then I'm creating the bank account on the other direction but it's, it's hard if you have a foundation of whatever it is as I mm. said earlier like my foundation is being worried about money and making sure that I'm really on top of all that then it's you know that's my foundation so it's very hard to override it and create a new habit of saying no you're okay you can take an hour break no one's gonna but again I like I want when people listening to, to I'm giving this example of me but it's not in the details of my story it's I want them listening to think okay, like, where do my choices come from? And how do I have compassion for both where I came from and also where I want to be? My second book is called Your Fittest Future Self. And I really encourage people to think, okay, like, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? And how do I create the habits today that will make me into that person? James Clear talks about every choice that you make is a vote for the future you. So -hmm. if you know you want to be moving 30 minutes every day in the year, okay, so then start with five minutes today, start with 10 minutes today, keep voting for that future version of you, and it will happen. 
Uh, but it won't happen if you don't vote for the person today. He again, he, I love James Clear, and he talks a lot about like how our bank account is a lagging sort of aggregate of all of our choices over the last five years or 10 years or our life or whatever. And that's fitness as well. It's, it's just like a lagging combination of all of our choices. So if you want in five years, your bank account to be a certain way, your health bank account, you got to make certain choices today and not put off till tomorrow, changing the things that you can do today. Again, it's that sort of like, those things that seem really easy, that seem almost too easy to be worthwhile, but if they compound over and over again, they make a big difference. And that's the beauty of habits. They don't have to be hard. When you drink a sip of water every 10 minutes, that adds up. You drink a glass of water an hour, or if you say, I tell my clients, make before you have your breakfast, before you have your coffee, you have to have a bottle of water. Before you have your lunch, you have to have a bottle of water. Before your dinner. And over the day, that makes a big difference. But over a year, oh my God, does that make so much difference. Slightly, do you know the compound effect, Darren Hardy? Yes. Yeah. So that's also, he, James Clear also talks about the compound effect. Yeah. yeah. The plateau of latent behavior as well. And the, the doubling penny and so on. Yeah, it's a wonderful example. And it just, it makes it palatable or doable because that's the other thing that I find very frustrating with the fitness, the discourse is, wow, if you don't work out for two hours, it's not worth it. And if you can't, if you can't eat perfectly, it's not worth it. It's like, no, of course it's worth it. Like 10 minutes, a couple times a day adds up. It's way better than nothing. And you have to make it so it's sort of enough of emotion like enough of an act that you feel proud of that act it's like that little win but not so big of a hurdle that you won't do it right in that so many of us we set ourselves up for failure because we're like if i can't go for a walk then like i just won't do anything i was talking to a client earlier we were emailing back and forth and she said i can't get out for my hour walk today so i guess it's not going to happen i was like do you have 15 minutes and she's yeah i was like okay we'll do 15 minutes do you have 15 minutes this afternoon she's, yeah it's like go and so we found an hour but it's spread out over the day and yeah way better than zero minutes and she'll well, feel good she'll feel in control and in many ways two 15 minutes is better than one 30 minutes yeah for sure you get different benefits from both if you're training for a marathon you got to make sure you get the longer steady state cardio in but the thing about 15 minutes is it gets your blood flowing it gets your lymphatic system going it gives you a sense of control it breaks up when you're walking and moving you're not sitting and sitting is the worst so it's just it's really getting away from perfect and thinking mm. progress and thinking about as you said about the compound effect and what can i do in this moment i i first heard about or learned about Andrew Huberman on the uh, Impact Theory podcast and people listening, that's a great interview. And he talks a lot on that interview, his first one, or Huberman talks a lot about the importance of these little wins and the little wins for multiple reasons. But for the most part in that conversation, what he's talking about is the little wins on the idea of the dopamine system and understanding that like you get this hormonal re response when because dopamine is connected to reward. And mm -hmm. so it's really hard if your goal is like four months from now, like a marathon, or if you're trying to lose a lot of weight, it feels almost impossible because that reward is so far away, but mm. you won't get to that reward. You won't get to that goal if you can't make those small changes along the way. Yeah. So you have to find ways to break it down, little goals, little rewards, get that dopamine hit, feel like you're progressing and then moving forward. I really encourage anybody who's like into that kind of sciencey stuff, like the impact theory with Andrew Huberman, the first one, amazing. Well, I don't know about you, when I first discovered Huberman, it's probably about a year ago. And I think I first discovered it around about like episode 22 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I immediately went back and listened to it. Yeah, every I listened to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's so smart and he's so, so funny. Good. 
Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. And it's great. Yeah, my sister's, she has a PhD in neuroscience. And I was like, you have to listen to him. He's so good. She's, my sister and I both love science, but she like goes into the lab and like cuts up brains and stuff, whereas right. I'm more on the practical side. And so it's a fun thing to be able to be like, this is, it's like, it's almost like where that like lab based science really the greater discourse in the world. And then he does a great job of making it very based in science, but also very yeah. approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this could be an ad for the Huberman podcast. It could be, not it? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of times about how yeah. 20 years ago or whenever it was, you found it quite difficult to transition into the mm-hmm. health fitness kind of realm. Mm-hmm. So, so at that time, what were your reasons for wanting to do it? Was it because you knew the benefits or what was happening around mm-hmm. Excellent question. So I think I've always wanted to like, so I'm 39. And for the first half of my life, there was never a day that I didn't want to get fit. But wanting and doing, as we've already said, are two different things. And my mom was an, is an amazing mom. And all the way through my childhood, she would she would put me in softball, and she would put me in, I don't know, dance. Um, and I just I hated being around my peers and exercising and sweating with people my own age. And I felt super insecure. I would lie to get out of gym class. And finally, it was I honestly I credit my mom for this. And she said to me, Kathleen, movement has to be a non-negotiable, but I understand that right now we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Like we haven't found your fit. We haven't found what works for you. And she's like, I don't care if you exercise as other 15, 16, 17 year olds do. I just need you to move. So how can we do it? And we lived in a small town and she got me a membership to the YMCA and the demographic of the Y is kind of under five and over 40. And she said, we're going to go to the Y. There's not going to be any of your classmates and we're going to walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes. And that's how I started. And that sort of spiraled into 20 minutes, which turned into 30, which turned into doing some strength training, which turned into taking some aerobics classes, which turned into teaching aerobics classes, which turned into me doing kinesiology in my undergrad. I was always going to be a lawyer, but I was like, I can do kinesiology undergrad and then I'll go to law school. And then I finished my undergrad and I was like, I don't know. And then I took my Pilates certification. And then in the end, I just ditched law school and I did a master's in exercise science. But it really was this very slow, wonderful, positive spiral that started with my mom saying, ditch the shoulds. It doesn't matter what other people your age do. All that matters is what you will do. And that's such a basis for my philosophy. Like I really try to encourage my clients to find, so the name of my first book is Finding Your Fit. And I encourage everyone to find their fit. Like, are they a gym bunny? Okay, great. Go to the gym. Are they a sort of competitive bunny? Great. Join a sports team. Are they busy multitasker? Do they need to walk on conference calls and exercise in the park with their kids? Great. Do they need to work out at home? Great. I don't care what it is. There's no judgment. They Mm. just have to move and they have to do something. Because once you start, it can always change. Like you can start by being the person who walks three days a week at work. And then maybe your colleague that you walk with is want to join a gym together. And you're like, okay, let's join a gym. And then you become like, it, it can always iterate and change. But if you don't start, you have nothing to iterate. You can't tweak anything if you're not starting. So the most important thing is to just do something. You do not have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. And I think that we get so caught in this comparison game and this shame game and just being like, oh my God, I should be fitter. I should be better. I should all this stuff. It's like shitting all over yourself. Do something small today. Um, and then just rinse and repeat. Keep doing those small things that make you fitter and make you better and make you feel better. So do you get many clients coming to you? So you've just talked about the shooting. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you have many clients coming to you who just that, that they want, they know that they should be, they feel that they should be doing mm-hmm. some kind of movement exercise, but for whatever reason, they just feel they can't. Do you get those, those sort of clients? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I get a huge variety of clients, but definitely some of them are like that. And 
I think a lot of it is a combination of the shame that I was feeling when I was younger and a little bit of embarrassment. And so I really just try to meet them where they are. I think a lot of the fitness discourse is so wrapped up in the, what the celebrities are doing and burpees and CrossFit and all that stuff's great. There's no part of me that's saying that high impact activity is bad or CrossFit is bad. Mm. What I'm saying is that it's the progressive model of health or the educational model of health. Like you have to think about health as grades from kindergarten to a master's program. And if you were in grade one, ace grade one, and then move to grade two, and then move to grade three. And too many of us, we don't even start because we look at somebody who's doing a PhD in fitness and we're like, well, I should be at that level. Should you? Have you ever gone for a run before? Have you ever done sports? Oh no, you haven't done that? Okay, great. So why should you be good at that? I think it's just part of our world is we're not very good at being bad at things. And if you've never done something before, like you should be kind of bad at it. Like there's no reason for you to be good at running or playing a sport or going to the gym if you've never done that before. We all had to crawl and then walk. We, we weren't born being able to run. Like it's this progressive model. And I think where we get we get in our own heads is instead of being in grade one, being very proud to be in grade one, working to ace grade one, we are in grade one and we're like, oh my God, I, I can't do grade five math. Like I'm a failure. And it's, nope, you're not a failure. You're just in grade one. So learn grade one and then move on. And that's with everything, right? Like people are like, I start them with balance training, for example, and they're, they're wibbly wobbly and they're all over the place. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, but why would you be good at this? Have you ever done this move before? No. Okay. So be okay being bad at it. Like I'm a really good runner, but that's because I've been running for whatever it is, 15 years now. I've done marathons, I've done Ironmans. But when I first started running, I couldn't run a block and that's okay. And it's, not even, it's actually more than okay. It's completely to be expected, right? If I've never spoken, I don't know, I don't know anything, any German or Spanish or whatever, like that's okay. If I started to learn it, I'd get better at it. And exactly what you were just saying, be okay with being bad, but that's not what we, human nature is not. We don't like being bad no. at anything, do we? No, and of course, and I don't either. So I'm not saying that like, I'm great at this. I'm getting better at this. And I'm just trying to lean into when I do feel a little bit of shame over being bad at something, or I feel a little bit awkward. I, okay, it's okay. Like you're allowed to feel, feelings are not facts. Feelings are not acts. Like you can feel however you want. And then um, you decide to move forward from there. I'm also not into toxic positivity and ignoring your feelings and saying, oh, you should don't. It's easy to get into the thing of, oh, Kathleen says that I should be okay being bad. Okay, then why am I feeling hard at myself for being bad? And then you get into this sort of like, you're, think, you're criticizing for your thoughts and then you're thinking and you're criticizing those thoughts and you get in this spiral. And it's like, you can feel however you want. Yeah. But then you take the actions that serve you. My partner, James and I, we always have this thing like no emotion, no feeling is bad, but action, but there are some actions that are, are bad, right? If he wants to be angry at me, great. But like yelling at me, slamming doors, not so great. Not that he's ever done that, but I don't know why I chose that. But you know what I mean? Be as sad as you want to be, be as mad at your boss as you want to be, but don't eat an entire cake. You can feel the feelings and take actions that serve you. And that I think that's also a tricky part for us, right? We want to either feel amazing at being bad at things, or we want to skip the step of feeling crappy. And so you can feel crappy and then you can keep going. So you talked about the book that you wrote. Well, yes. I think you wrote a couple of books now, haven't you? I've written two books. Yeah. Finding yeah. Your Fit is the first one and Your Fit is Future Self. So is on, the that, on the first book, Finding Your Fit. So when did you write that? Oh, I think it was 2017, maybe five or six years ago. So we're talking yeah, five, six years ago. So mm -hmm. what were your, can you remember what were your initial reasons for writing that in the first place? 
Oh, I love your questions. So I, there's a, our national newspaper here in Canada is called the Globe and Mail. And so for years, I wrote for the Globe for maybe about eight years. And I also wrote for Huffington Post. And I did a bunch of blogs. And I think eventually enough people said, you got to put all these ideas into a book. And mm-hmm. one year for Christmas, I actually printed out all my different blogs from Huffington and the Globe. And I put them in like a spiral notebook for my parents, just as a, here you go. Ha ha, this is fun. And then I was looking and flipping through it. And I was like, oh, you know what? How cool would it be to have like a through line to all these ideas and to take what I've written and create a unified philosophy of movement? So that's when I put together my book proposal. And I just press is my press here in Canada. And I just said, you've been writing for many years years, I have lots of great ideas. And I feel like through writing all these different blogs and different articles, I've um, honed my craft of writing, but I've also started to create a real philosophy of movement, and I'd like to put it in a book. And that's what finding your fit was. It really is my philosophy of don't fit a square peg into a round hole, find your fit, find what type of perk are you that gym bunny? Are you a home bunny? Are you a competitive bunny? What type of movement? And then go from there. And you can always change your seasons of movement can change, but you have to start. Yeah, the book goes through these different like ways you can exercise at home or at a gym. It goes through the idea of exercising and becoming a healthier human is a marathon, not a sprint. So it's a lot of philosophy and mindset. But the main message of the book is just start wherever you are, just start. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Stop shooting on yourself, stop judging yourself and move. So when, when that book came out, mm-hmm. and obviously you got reaction, positive mm-hmm. and I guess may, maybe some negative as well, or, or at least critique maybe. And so from that process, so you're starting to get commentary about mm-hmm. what you've written, and then you're deciding to write an, another one. So then how mm-hmm. did you go, what did you think, I need to do something drastically different for the follow-up, or what was your thought process process then? I think a lot of it is just like a natural evolution. So the first book really is don't worry about the details, just move. And I have a very good friend. Her name is Emily. We've been, we went to high school together, actually. And we were going, I think we were having a pedicure and she was asking me all these questions. Like, what do you think about intermittent fasting? And what do you think about Ligree Pilates? And, and she was going into more detail than I had gone to in the first book, right? She was beyond the point of just moving and she wanted more concrete details. And the answer to all of her questions was, here is the pro of this and here's the con of this. And depending on who you are, this pro fits for you. And this, and that conversation probably went on for 20 different pedicures for a year. Well, maybe that's too many pedicures, but you know, like many conversations. And eventually she just said to me, like, Kathleen, this is your next book. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, I don't want to just move. I want slightly more directive. And I don't quite understand what the directive is. I don't quite understand what are the different pros that work for me. Like everything, when somebody's promoting a way of movement, they only talk about the good things. And so I just don't know what should I do? What should I not do? How much of things do I do? How do I balance strength and cardio? And she said, and how do I know what way of eating is for me? And so that's what the second book really is it's divided into three parts mindset nutrition and fitness and each of those three parts i divide different modalities um, and i do the pros and the cons and then i say okay for you that if you were this type of person then this pro of this will work for you so i go through different pilates and yoga and so i might say okay you're dealing with osteoporosis maybe yoga is not the best thing for you but strength training is and it goes to different pros whereas if you're dealing with stress maybe yoga like maybe that pro of yoga is for you and the idea being that at the end of your fittest future self you come away being able to create a unique recipe for your success but it's a little bit more detailed than the finding your fit is basically like no matter what just move do what works for you 
And then the second one is, okay, great. Now you're moving. How do you make sure you're getting enough of the mobility and enough of the cardio and enough of the strength? And how do you know what mindset to use? Should you do some meditation? So you, should you do some therapy? And how do you know what nutrition modality? Or do you want to do the Mediterranean diet or something like more of a food delivery service would work for you? So it's just about understanding yourself. Well, what I also like about what you just said is, one of the things about bio-individuality, and there's too many books say this is the way that you should do things, which is just wrong on so many different levels. And so I like that approach that you just talked about, how oh, presenting the, the well, negatives and yeah. the positives. To, yeah. yeah, there's negatives and positives to everything. And like, even if you just take you and me, we're both in the health and wellness field. But you just said you don't really need much motivation to exercise because it's just like part of your natural sort of ability. So if I was training you, the mindset tools and tricks that I would take with you would be very different than if I was training somebody like me who still has to for the well, I, like it's getting easier and easier for me to exercise. But for the longest time, I really needed a lot of mindset tricks to help me. And neither way is good or bad. It just has to fit the person that's in front of you. And so if you are somebody listening to this podcast and you want to get in shape, you want to eat better, part of it is just letting go that there's no perfect way of doing anything. Mm -hmm. There's only what works for you and that serves the goal and the purpose that you want to achieve. Mm. So how, so when did the last book come out or the most recent? Just before the pandemic. So a couple of years ago. And so how's the reaction been to that? I think it's good. And what I've done since the two, those two books is created what I call the kick your ass with compassion group coaching, because I think the reaction mainly for both the books, especially the second one, because it was, a, it's a little bit more detailed and complex is, okay, this is such amazing information. Now, can I have a little bit of support and accountability implementing it? So now people from around the world can join me for five weeks. It's on Zoom. It's at Toronto Eastern Standard Time at 730. It's Thursday nights. And I run the course like three times a year. And over the five weeks, it's a coaching course. So it's not exercise. We go through everything from mindset to nutrition, like the principles, the first principles of mindset, nutrition and exercise, and people set goals. And then the idea being that everyone's working towards different goals, but the science of goal setting and achievement is the same. So that's what I'm teaching everybody. And then for five weeks, they have unlimited via email with me to ask me any questions. So if they're reading a portion of the book and they're like, oh, this doesn't make sense, they can ask me. And then it's a dialogue. And yeah, it's, I really try to encourage people this is such a learning experience it's such a process there's no there's no it's a health is an infinite game it's a game you play till the day you die so this is not a I lose 10 pounds and then i stop i don't you don't win the game and then finish playing like you win the game and then you keep going so, so yeah i'm really enjoying the group coaching but that was definitely that was the feedback i got of okay this is great but i want a little bit more of a community and i want a way to ask you questions and i want a way to bounce things off so i get the impression from what you just said that course is it doesn't matter what level you're at as far as no yeah and that's what's me is it's the coaching course is very much as i said it's a course about the science behind achieving a goal so i will have people there that their goal is to walk 15 minutes a day and then i have some people in the course that their goal is to run a marathon some people there their goal is to lose 50 pounds and some people their goal is just to eat more vegetables and it doesn't matter and you can share the goal with the group or not hmm. but i'm really try to instill in people that you can't just wish yourself to success. Like you have to say, okay, here's my goal. And then what are the systems that I'm going to use to create that new habit and to create the goal? And the goal is 
everybody needs awareness that you need preparation and you need systems to set yourself up for success. And too often with health, we try to wish ourselves health. Like, oh, this week will be different. Will it? What have you done to make it? So that's definitely what we do in the course. And it's also a course that allows for some community, which I think is, it takes a village always. I encourage people listening to this. If they don't want to join the course, cool. But how can you create a village in your own life of people that you go for walks with, or maybe somebody you meet on Sundays and you cook a bunch of healthy food or you take it home and you have that in your freezer or just somebody you email back and forth with to be like, oh, are you eating your vegetables today or whatever it is. We just, we're social creatures. We need people in our lives. What would you say is thinking back over the last 30, 20, 20, 30 years, whatever, can you think of a habit or behavior that you found really difficult to implement that you really wanted to do that was really difficult? For the first half of my life, anything to do with exercise and healthy eating for sure was difficult. I think, I think my journey has been more of a, almost like a pendulum swing. So I was so unhealthy and then so scared of going back to that unhealthiness that I swung too far in the other direction with a lot of disordered eating and just orthorexia, like everything had to be really perfect. And I was overly conscious of everything because I was so worried about falling backwards into my sort of less healthy habits. So it's been a process of the pendulum swinging and then now trying to normalize, just having a little bit more self-trust and knowing that if I want to sit on the sofa and chill, that's okay, because that doesn't mean that tomorrow I'm going to be in bed for 24 hours. Because, you know, I, I struggled a lot with depressive episodes when I was younger and I wouldn't get out of bed. And that, so that scares me. I, and so it's, I think the habit that I've had to really work on is that I can trust myself to know that I will bounce back to my healthier habits. And even if I take a rest day or if I have some chocolate cake, like I love chocolate almonds, chocolate fudge bars, but to trust that I can have a little bit of that. And that doesn't mean I'm going to have 75 pieces of chocolate cake, but it, it's, oh, this is, it's such a process. It really is. And it's very easy when you've lived a life of sneaking food and skipping exercise to be really afraid that's what you're going to go back to and it takes a while to be like no calm down take a breath you're only human and you have to find that sort of like balance that actually serves your health because the problem with disordered eating and over exercise is it doesn't serve your health it's bad for you in a totally other direction and to circle back to what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast it's also just that overworking like that comes from this need to soul and i'm working on it that's compassion compassion for myself you mentioned before about coward work and growth mindset. So yes. How are there many of your clients when you first start working with them who don't have a, a growth mindset? Oh, what a fantastic question. I don't know if very many people know the term, like even people who have a growth mindset, I'm not sure that they would say to me like, Kathleen, I have Carol Dweck's growth mindset. Like it's mm -hmm. not necessarily in their vernacular, but a lot of people have no, I think that what's interesting about a growth mindset is a lot of people can have it in different in one part of their life, but not for their health and wellness. And that's what I try to encourage people to understand when they say to me, like, oh, I just I can't get fit. I've tried it so many times I can't do it. I'm like, no, but you can. You have the skill of awareness. You have the skill. Like at work, I, I see you, you made a mistake and then you learned from that mistake and you implemented that knowledge. Hmm. So you you know how to do it. You just haven't learned how to apply it to your exercise and health. So I think there's a combination of, no, I would say there's different camps. Like I think there's some people that have a hard time with growth mindset across the board in their life. Mm. So it's, it's more of a trait of who they are. 
And then there are people that have a hard time with growth mindset with exercise. It's more like in this, in that state of exercise, but they can do it in other parts of their lives. But I think it's a conversation I have with every single one of my clients, because even people who have a growth mindset, if you're afraid or you get triggered or you just, you're tired, you haven't eaten, like it's so easy to lose the growth mindset, like in a moment that in that moment, like you're overtired and so easy to be like, oh my God, I'm a failure. I'm never going to succeed. And it doesn't mean that big picture, you don't have a growth mindset, but in that moment, it's hard to have. So that's the other thing. It's just, I don't think it's hundred percent constant ever for anybody. Like even me, I'm extremely aware of wanting to have a growth mindset. If I've missed a good quality sleep, or if I haven't eaten my lunch yet or whatever, I can be much more prone <laughs> and like wanting to be perfect versus wanting to grow. And so again, I think it really goes back to just awareness and compassion with yourself. And we're never going to be perfect, but can you be aware enough to know when you're slightly going off the rails and pull yourself back to a more centered growth oriented self? And do you ever have any people you've worked with who are maybe a bit too, too obsessive with about health? Yeah. And what I think is wonderful is since I've been there, I feel like I can really talk to them about it. And that's when I get hard on myself of, oh, Kathleen, you let yourself go too unhealthy in the other direction. I start to get mad at myself. I'm like, no, you learned so much. Like how awesome is it that you have been at both polar ends of this journey? You've been way too overly conscious and you've been way too under conscious. So yeah, I, I definitely work with people who are that orthorexic, like too overly rigid. Over the years, I've worked with some younger girls where their parents have got me to come in and work with them, like they're who are in their teens. And again, I feel like I was able to really genuinely say, I've been there, I get it. I understand the desire to be super rigid because that sense of control can feel really good. But here's the, the problems with this mindset. But it, yeah, I think that all of this stuff can exist in all gender, in both all genders, all people, all ages, all ages and stages. And it's again, it really goes back to what can I learn from the experience? How can I be compassionate with myself? But how can I find that tricky balance of holding myself accountable while being compassionate? And that's why my course is called Kick Your Ass with Compassion, because you have to walk that fine line. You have to be compassionate with yourself because you love and you respect yourself because you want to grow and change and evolve. But you also have to hold your toes to the fire and say, okay, if I truly want to change and evolve, I have to go for a walk right now, or I have to give myself what I need versus what I want, which is very, it's hard. And it's easy to do one or the other. Like it's easy to think compassion is letting yourself off the hook. Oh, who cares? I'll just watch a bunch of television. You need a bunch of crappy food. I love myself. It's like, that's not actually truly compassion. Like you wouldn't say to your child, here's 17 pieces of cake and 14 bars of ice cream and watch TV for 12 hours. Because with your kids, you can take that objective view and say, okay, my compassion and my love means that I'm going to get you to do the things that serve you. Here's like one ice cream bar and watch one episode of television. And so that's what we have to flip on ourselves. We have to learn to have that kind passion that serves us while also holding ourselves accountable. So staying with kids, you just talked about kids and mm -hmm. in my, I'd love to get your opinion on, or say you were put in charge of physical education in, in schools, mm -hmm. because the situation mm -hmm. that I see, certainly in England, I, I can't speak mm -hmm. for North mm -hmm. America, but so my daughter's 13. Okay. She, it's a hard age. I had a hard time at 13. And she now in there's much more of a focus on mm -hmm. the academic side of her school life and they've now reduced the amount of mm -hmm. physical for what's mm -hmm. called pe over here i don't know if it's mm -hmm. the same in the yeah, it's, yeah pe as well yeah and there's now less pe than there has been in mm -hmm. previous years and it seems to me that there, there shouldn't be less yeah. also 
I've noticed that she doesn't seem to be, she's now getting to a stage where she's much more aware. She's less keen to be getting into mm-hmm. doing a PE mm-hmm. because of various mm-hmm. reasons. And from speaking with friends, there's many other people I know who have got daughters around a sort of similar age, maybe between 13 and 16, and they just don't want to be doing exercise anymore. Yeah, what? I know that was me. I, I get it. I totally yeah, get and it. Because yeah. of what you said. So what I'm asking you, if you, if you, what would be your suggestions for schools? What could they do to stop that situation, to change that situation? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about schools, but I can definitely say when I work with my clients, it's so much about modeling good behavior, healthy behavior, and also finding things that the child like likes and feels. So family fun time together. And again, like if you look at my experience, P was terrible for me because I just felt so judged by my peers. And I think that sort of 13 to 15, 16 year age, that comparison game is so hard. Mm. So I think definitely schools peppering in opportunity for movement for people to go outside, exercise, fun things, having a wide variety of things from dance to different sports, like to give people as much different opportunity. But for parents to like really have the conversation with their kids, okay, like, what do you like to do? How can I support you? What are you afraid of? Because so much of that insecurity is about, I don't look good. I'm too fat. I'm, I'm insecure. So just having a really honest conversation and then also working to integrate the activity into life as a family. Can you go to the park after school? Can you play a sport with your kids? Can And then can you also model that behavior for them? Can you be doing, if you go watch them play soccer, can you be doing lunges and squats on the sideline or whatever that is? And I think I'm not parent, but I think what's fascinating about parents is if you can actually turn the parenting your child into parenting yourself, meaning it's so easy to look at what your child needs. Okay, they need more physical activity. They're feeling they're in their body. They, I'm going to schedule them for a dance three times a week. I'm going to pack them healthy food. I'm going to have healthy dinners. So we have those skills for other people. And so what I always encourage my clients to do is, okay, so take the skills you have for your children and apply them to yourself. And just through doing that and modeling, that will be inspirational as in itself and just show, and then your kids will see one, that it's possible, two, that it makes you feel better, three, that it's not onerous. So it's a very wonderful thing to see it in somebody else and have that conversation. Yeah. And I encourage my clients to do a gamification with their family. Like, so can you do a, everybody keeps track of their steps and the person who gets the most steps gets to pick family movie night or something like that. Find ways to make it fun. There's lots of physical activity in a lot of, um, active we have where i think it's called the nintendo switch where you're doing physical stuff with the video game so just really thinking outside the box and not judging things like i think that was part of it for me for so long it was like if you're not doing it in pe class if you're not doing it like the rest of your kids your age do it then you're doing it wrong versus saying what will you do like i know with my mom like i remember doing jane fonda dvds with her and that was i would do that and it was fun and it was great and so talk to your kids like what will you do what that kind of stuff as well i think it's just fun and find ways to get them them involved in picking the activities and if they suggest something be like okay even if you don't think it's the right thing we'll just be like let's try it once and, and let's see and again 
that's stuff you can then bounce back on yourself. So if you think a friend of yours says, do you want to try Zumba class? And you think, oh, I'd hate Zumba. Just think, okay, if I was my child right now, I would say to my kid, just try it once and see what you think. And so do the same thing. Go to Zumba. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it, but whatever, you got to work out. And so just, I don't know, treat your kids a little bit more like you would want to be treated. Time is moving on, Kathleen. So I'm going to change the topic now. Okay. We touched upon your books before. So staying with books, a question I always ask everyone, is there a book that's really moved you for any reason? Yeah. So we've talked already in this conversation about Atomic Habits, James Clear. We talked about Carol Dweck's mindset. I also really like Emotional Agility by Susan David. And so earlier when I was talking about the idea of any emotion is okay, but any action is not and feeling your feelings, but feelings are not facts. That's a lot from Susan David's work. She talks about courage being fear walking. So like you feel all the feels, but then you still make the decision that's going to serve you. I So I really loved her book. And she talks a lot about dead people people's goals, like the idea of being perfect, like never having any emotions, never feeling terrible, like all those things. She's like, well, if that's what you want. That's not realistic to be alive. Like you cannot be alive and never have a bad day. So stop setting goals that set you up for failure. Stop setting goals that are basically only happen if you're dead. And yeah, she's fabulous. And I actually think she's I don't know if she's from London or she's British. She's definitely, she's not American or Canadian. Anyway, she's fabulous. And she has a, a podcast called Checking In. They're just like short 15 minute things on, on, on different topics. But yeah, I think emotional agility and emotional intelligence is really important when it mm. comes to health and wellness. Because we have to know what we're feeling and how to then talk to ourselves about what we're feeling. And I'll put links to both the book and the podcast in the show notes for anyone listening. Perfect. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about the course that you mentioned and your books and your social media and so on, where would they go? My web- website is kathleentrotter.com and I'm fit by Kathleen T on all the socials. Okay. And finally, I think you've already touched upon this, but the quote that resonates with you, I've, I think I heard you mention it before. Oh, I have so many quotes. I love, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. Yeah. I love that. I love Courage is Fear Walking by Susan David. And I'm also a huge Brené Brown fan. So anything from the man in the arena, Daring Greatly speech, and then she, her book is called Daring Greatly. I just think that's such an important concept for us, especially in the in the zone of social media, like so easy to criticize others. And really, honestly, unless you're in the arena and you're, you're getting dirty and you're slipping and you're falling and you're making mistakes don't criticize the doer go out and do and don't worry about being perfect be willing to fall and get up again as long as you're in the arena as long as you're daring greatly working is winning and it's life is hard humaning is hard and it can feel really crappy to fall down but it's also feels way worse to stay on the sidelines and never try anything is a terrible feeling Catherine, I think I'm going to have to invite you back for a second episode because there's many more things I would like to discuss, but we just don't have enough time. Yeah. Next time. But thank you. It's been a great episode. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Next week is episode 92 with Dr. Jay Wiles, who is an international speaker, scientist, clinician, influencer, and subject matter expert and authority on interconnection between the human stress response and health performance optimization. He's known as also as an expert in uh, HRV, that's heart rate variability. And we speak a lot around how, what is heart rate variability, human performance, health, 
and the Hanu device. He's the chief scientific officer of Hanu Health. So we talk about what is the Hanu Health device and how does that help people. That's next week's episode with Dr. Jay Wiles. If you know anyone who gets some value from this week's episode with Kathleen Schrotter, please do share the episode with them and I hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning into the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.